0: at the story of david and goliath and i would say that most if not all of you this morning most of us um, have heard about the story of david and goliath if you grew up in church you surely know this story Um, i kind of feel like i know this story inside and out the story's in my bones i mean how many times did i hear this story preached or hear the story in sunday school Um, and so we know the story well we know the script well but what is it that god has for us in this story And so I want to explore that just for a few minutes this morning. It's a fascinating story. Um, The Israelites and the Philistines, as you may be aware, were enemies, and uh, Israel's first king was Saul, and it became apparent in uh, in short order that Saul was not going to be the right kind of king, and so last Sunday, Pastor Jason talked about the anointing of David, and David was anointed as king over Israel, but... David coming into his kingship is going to take a while because Saul is still king. And so we are in chapter 17 of First Samuel, and this is the story, again, of David and Goliath. And we're told in verse 3 that the Philistines and the Israelites are at war with one another. And verse 3 tells us in particular that the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, and there was a valley in between them, and they're ready for war so when I picture this scene in my mind, I think of movies like Braveheart, you know? The big army on one side and the other big army on the other side, and they're waiting to fight one another. And all of a sudden, one of the generals, or whatever you call them, pulls out his sword and rides his horse, and he says, Charge, or whatever they said back then. And then the two huge armies converge on one another, and it's awesome. It's just this fighting, right? But in real life, it's not awesome. It's just absolute carnage. And you might expect that's what's going to happen in this battle. And those kind of battles did happen. But that's not what happens here. What's happening here is different. The Philistines send out one man on their behalf. And he sets out a challenge to the Israelites to send out their best warrior. And they will fight. And whoever wins the fight wins the battle. That is, if the Philistines win that fight through their one man then the Israelites will become their servants, and vice versa. It's a different way of doing battle, certainly less carnage. But the interesting thing is, is that the guy that the Philistines send out, his name is Goliath, and he's a monster. He's huge. Listen to his description in verse 4. It says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale, uh, of scale army, armor, A bronze wing, 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And so, Goliath, we're meant to understand he's huge, he's massive, he's well armed. And he goes out and he challenges the army of Israel, and he taunts them, and he calls one of them to come out and to fight him. And the script, the, the, the text tells us that the Israelites, including their king Saul, they were not only dismayed, but they were terrified. They don't know what to do. They don't have a warrior who can go out and challenge Goliath, and much is on the line. Their whole future as a nation is on the line, and this guy is taunting them. This guy is defying the ranks of the armies of the living God. And this went on for 40 days, not just once, it went on for 40 days. Goliath would come out twice a day for 40 days and he would rehearse the same speech and the same result. No one would come forward. The Israelites didn't know what to do until David, the hero, comes on the scene. But David doesn't come into the scene as a soldier. He comes into the scene on a lunch run. He's sent by his dad, Jesse, to bring some food because David had three brothers who were in the army. And so Jesse tells David, go and bring some food to help feed the soldiers. So so David loads up all of this food. He comes to where the battle is going to be fought and he drops the food off. But then he begins snooping around a little bit. He begins asking questions. What's going on? How are things going? And all of a sudden, he hears Goliath come out and give his speech and give his taunts and challenge the armies of the living God. And everybody has the same reaction. Everybody is terrified except for David. David. David isn't terrified. He's actually disgusted. David is frustrated, and David, in you know, if I were to sum up his words, he's saying, "We got to do something about this. We can't let this guy come out and insult uh, God's people. We have to do something about this." And so he begins asking questions and talking. And wind of David's conversations gets back to the king, to King Saul. And so Saul sends for David. David comes to Saul, and this is what David says to Saul. Listen to. Uh, what he says in verse 32. He says to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Let no one lose heart, David says. I'll go and I'll fight him. And Saul's response is underwhelming. This is what Saul says You are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a boy. And Goliath has been a fighting man from his youth. Saul wasn't a great uh, motivational coach here. He's just not real encouraging to David. But David isn't discouraged. And David goes on to say, in in so many words, he says, Look, Saul, I know maybe I don't look like I can take on Goliath, but you just need to know that I'm a shepherd. And in my years of shepherding, in my youth, I've learned to trust God. I've learned that God can do whatever He wants to do. In my years of shepherding, I've experienced my giants, I've experienced lions. I've experienced bears who have come after my sheep. And with my bare hands, I've taken care of these animals and protected my sheep. God will take care of us. God will win the battle. David is extremely confident in God. Saul, not so much. But Saul doesn't have any other choices. No one has risen to the challenge. And so Saul finally says, okay, go out and fight him. Saul gives David his armor and all of his equipment. But David you know, just concludes, this is too big, this is too clumsy, I'm just going to do it the way I know how to do it. And so David takes his staff, he takes his sling, he goes down to the river or to the creek, and he picks five smooth stones, and he heads out for battle. David's courage, I want us to remember this, David's courage and his trust in God was formed in his youth. David, in the quiet moments of being a shepherd, learned how to trust God. He learned in the quiet moments of praying and listening to God, he learned that God was faithful. He learned to trust God in the quiet moments of his youth, not right there on the scene. David lived with a confidence that God was actually real. David lived with a confidence that God was actually with him wherever he went. Sometimes I think we have this skewed version of the presence of god i know some people in our world think that god his presence if he if he is real god basically resides in churches but they don't think of god's presence as being everywhere just this week i heard another person joke that you know that they don't go to church but we're in conversation and the thought of them going to church they said you know what if i stepped into a church it's been so long i'd probably burst into flames they said you know but there's this idea that god's presence it it resides in a church building but not outside of it. But we know that God not only is present here with us, but God is present out there with us as we go. Wherever we go, God is with us. And David lived with this confidence. He lived with this reality that God, the living God, was with him wherever he went. And God was real, and God would help him. David had this kind of confidence. And so he heads out, and he approaches Goliath, and listens to what he says in verses 45 to 47. This is what he says to Goliath. all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the lord saves for the battle is the lord's the battle is the lord's and he will give you all into our hands and then it says that david he didn't sort of meander towards goliath he ran he ran to the battle line carrying his staff and his sling and he takes a rock out of his pouch that one of the rocks that he chose down by the water he takes a rock and puts it in the sling and we know the story He got that sling going and he let the rock go and the rock hit its mark and down goes goliath the rock doesn't kill goliath but david runs over takes goliath's sword and he finishes goliath off and all of a sudden all of the israelites who were fearful and terrified they are filled with courage the philistine army takes off they're scared the israelite army takes off and they win the battle but it's because one man went out on their behalf and he did what needed to be done He had courage. He had confidence, not in himself, but he had confidence in his God. A number of years ago, um, my friend Jeremy Kinnenberg gave me these. They are, uh, this sits on my desk here at the church, and there are five smooth stones that he went down to a little creek, and he chose, and he brought them here when he came here, and he gave them to me as a gift, and they are to be a reminder to me that I do not have to be afraid. There's a lot in our world that we could be afraid of. Growing up you could be afraid of bullies, but as you get older, maybe the physical bullies go away, but there's all sorts of worries, all sorts of anxiety that is capable of making its way into our lives. And these five smooth stones sit on my desk as a reminder to me that God is able to do far more than I can ever ask or imagine. And then I don't have to be afraid, because wherever I go, God is with me. And God will fight my battle. It may not be exactly like this story, but I can have that kind of confidence in God. But here's the thing. I need reminders like this because I don't have to be afraid, and I know that. But the reality and the truth is is that I often don't feel like David. I often don't really identify with that kind of courage that we read about in this story. And if I were honest, I hate to admit this, but if I were honest, I identify a lot of times more with the Israelites who are standing terrified not knowing what to do, than I do with this young man, David, who just runs out to battle, full of confidence in the Lord. I identify more with these Israelites who are sometimes scared, not knowing what to do. The moral of this story, I want us to understand, the moral of the story of David and Goliath is not that if you trust in God that nothing bad will ever happen to you, that you will experience all victory in your life, that nothing bad will ever touch you if you just trust in God enough like David trusted in God, because we know that that's not how life works, and we know that that's not how God works. We are to trust God, but as much as I want to be like David in this story, the truth is I'm often not like David, and so this is here where I want to go a little deeper with this story. This is the scenario of the story of David and Goliath, one man fighting on behalf of a whole nation. There is immense responsibility on the one man that is chosen to represent the whole nation. And the hope of the whole nation rests on this one man. And so Goliath is chosen and David is chosen. Much was at stake here. During Jesus' day, Israel looked forward to the day when God would send a Messiah, a Savior, to be their hope. One man chosen by God to save Israel. One man would come, and many in Israel believed that this man would come, he would be their hope, he would be their salvation, and he would free them from the Romans who uh, was who ruled over them. And they longed for this one man to come and represent them and to be their warrior. And Jesus came as the Messiah. Jesus came as God's anointed one, God's chosen one. And he came as that one man, the true Messiah. But Jesus came... And he made clear that his mission as God's Messiah, as God's chosen one, was not to fight the Romans. It wasn't to free God's people from Rome, it was to free God's people from sin. And Jesus, the true Messiah, came, and he was God's one man to represent and to put all of our hopes on this one man. All of the hope of not only Israel, but of humanity rested on one man to fight the battle that we cannot fight and could not fight for ourselves. And like David went into battle in seeming weakness, Jesus went into battle in weakness as well. Jesus battled sin, and he battled death, not with sword, not with spear, not with putting armor on. Jesus battled sin and death and the evil one by going to the cross, a place that was often seen as weakness. But as the scriptures tell us, that it is the weakness of the cross that proved to be the power of God. And when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, one man for all of humanity, he went into battle, the scripture says. He did battle against sin, he did battle against death, and he did battle against the evil one. And through the cross and resurrection, Jesus, the son of David, was victorious over all of those things on our behalf. I want to read to you Colossians, one of my favorite passages from the book of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. The Apostle Paul writes this, When you are dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. That before we came to Christ, the Bible says that we were spiritually dead, that we are dead in our sins, but God, through Jesus, made us alive. How did he do it? Paul goes on to say that he forgave us all of our sins. And then he goes on to say, Having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. You know, the the Old Testament, with all of its laws and regulations, the Apostle Paul says, in the end, all of those laws and regulations, although they were good, they end up just reiterating the point to us that we are all guilty, that none of us can follow all that, we are not perfect, and they pronounce our guiltiness before a holy God. And the Bible says that at the cross that Jesus took that guilt away. He took it away and our guilt and that piece of paper that said guilty, guilty, guilty before a living God, God took that and it was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And we stand before a holy God forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us. And not only did he take care of the problem of our sin, he took took the evil one and he went to battle with the evil one. And verse 15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus, God's chosen one, did battle on our behalf, and he was victorious. And friends, the reason that I do not have to be afraid is not because I can somehow muster up courage like David and go out and fight my battle. The reason I don't have to be afraid is because I have one who has gone out before me and fought the battle already, and he's victorious. The reason I don't have to be afraid is not because I am David. The reason I don't have to be afraid is because Jesus is my David, and the victory is already won. This doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you. This doesn't mean that you will never be discouraged. This doesn't mean that you will never suffer or experience difficulty in your life. But it means that as the evil one comes at you and wants to try to convince you that, are you really forgiven? Are you you really forgiven? You are guilty. And we know through Jesus, who has fought the battle for us, that our sin and that pronouncement of guilt over us has been taken away and it's been nailed to the cross. It has been dealt. The victory that Jesus has won for us means that even though we will experience difficulty in this life, in situations where we feel like we don't know what to do, that Jesus goes with us wherever we go. That when we leave this place, Jesus is by our side, by His Spirit, every step of the way. And He will lead you, and He will give you wisdom, and He will encourage you, and He will bring healing to your heart and to your body. He will help you every step of the way. Jesus' victory means that as we face suffering and as we one day face death, every one of us, that we don't have to be afraid. The son of David, Jesus the son of David, has already defeated death and he says to each of us, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. It's all been taken care of because the one man went out in front of us and he did battle for us. And therefore... We don't have to be afraid. It's not our courage. It's the courage of Jesus that causes us to have confidence in God. That no matter what we face, all will be well because of Jesus. And I want to close with these thoughts. David's confidence in God did not all of a sudden appear out of nowhere on the battlefield. David's confidence in God was formed in his youth. It was formed in those quiet moments as he sat watching the sheep, as he prayed, as he sang songs of praise to God, as he spent time with the Father. He got to know God. He got to know the faithfulness of God. He got to know the power and the strength of God. That courage was formed in those quiet moments well before David ever got to the battlefield. You and I cannot think That we will suddenly be courageous and have that kind of confidence in God when we get into battle, when we face difficulty in our lives. Friends, that kind of confidence in God, that kind of intimate trust in Jesus is formed well before that happens. It's formed in the quiet place. It's formed in our prayer closets. It's formed as we open up God's word and as we get to know him, as we talk to him, as we learn about his faithfulness, as we develop that relationship with jesus and i want to call you to that this morning the application of this message is not when you face difficulty suddenly have courage because jesus is there with you yes he is there with you but that courage needs to be formed and nurtured before that ever happens in the quiet place as you are with god as you allow him to change and to form your heart so would you do that would you take time every day to be with god so that he can change your heart So that he can convince you of his faithfulness and his goodness and his strength in your life. So that on the day where we face the giant, where we face the difficulty, we will have that confidence that Jesus loves us, he is with us, and he will help us. Let's pray.